All right, welcome everyone. I want to welcome all of you who are here in person. Welcome all of you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you're a part of our service this weekend. And since this is really my first weekend to be with you in the new year, let me just make sure I say Happy New Year to all of you as well. I hope the year has started off great for you. Real quick, there's a couple of things I want to mention before we go any further. And first one is this little white card that you should have been handed when you walked through the doors uh, to the service today. I, I just want to encourage you to fill that out and drop it in a gray basket on your way out of the worship center. And all we're doing through the month of January is we're using these cards to try to just determine who has actually returned to in-person worship here at Mount Pleasant. We're not going to use them for any other uh, thing except to put your name or your family's name on a list of folks who have returned for worship. That's it. And so it would be great if you would cooperate with us. We're not going to try to get anything else from you beyond your name. So if you could do that, we would appreciate that. And then just a follow-up on what we just heard in MPTV. Every year, uh, there are some classes that we offer throughout the year that have the power to change your life. Uh, and uh, two of them have the power to change your financial life, Financial Peace University or FPU and Legacy Journey. And I just can't encourage you strongly enough, if you haven't gone through those, to make sure that's something you do. Uh, you know, the book of Proverbs says, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. And let me just tell you that if you have any anxiety in your life with regard to your finances right now, any at all, then it would be foolish for you to not take part in Financial Peace University. And this is your last week to register because classes start next week. And so you can do that. I think it's for $66. Uh, and there are some scholarships available, if, even if that's a difficulty for you. So do that. And as you heard Mike say on MPTV, if you're in a place where your finances are good, but you want to finish your financial life strong and you want to leave a good financial legacy behind you, uh, then Legacy Journey is a great opportunity for you. And those classes start on January the 30th. So Sunday, January 16th, Sunday, January 30th for FPU and for Legacy Journey. Go to our website and our Financial Freedom Ministry page to learn more about those things. All right. So since this is the first weekend of uh, the new year for me to be with you, I want to do something a little bit different as we begin. And I want to begin with uh, a short time of prayer. I've asked Brian to stay here with us on the platform uh, to help provide a little bit of a setting for our time of prayer. He's going to play. He's going to sing and lead us in singing. It'll be a very brief time of singing. And then I'm going to ask you just simply to bow your heads, and I'm going to give you some prayer prompts as we begin this part of our service this weekend. So I'll turn that over to Brian, and we'll go from there. I need Father in heaven, we love you so deeply tonight. And we praise you for your goodness and your mercy. And we're so grateful that you have demonstrated your love for us in so many different ways 
the greatest of which was when you sent your son to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And as we gather as a spiritual body, a spiritual community this weekend, we pray for your love and your grace and your mercy to cover us. And right now we're going to pause and I'm going to invite everyone to pray for anything in the past, whether it's just the past year or goes deeper than that, that keeps us in bondage or threatens the peace that God offers. Lord, help us to let go of the things of the past. And let's pray that just quietly for just a few seconds. Lord, I pray for the one who can't find a way to forgive, who can't get over the disappointment, who can't get past the hurt. Pour your grace into their life in a way that gives them a strength that they never experienced before. And now we want to pray on what's ahead in this new year whatever the desire or the hope of your heart might be, whatever it is that you would like to see accomplished in your life or the life of your family or a life of someone that you love, let's pray for what lies ahead. God, we know the Bible teaches us that you are a God of comfort and compassion and you are a God who pours your blessing into our lives. And I pray that you would look into each and every heart and that you would see the hope and the desire for the good things that are ahead of us, that can be ahead of us, that can happen. I pray, Father, that you would honor every request for the future and that you would help us to trust you. Even if we have to come to moments in our lives like where we say like that, that father of that, that demon-possessed son in the Gospels who you healed, when Jesus asked, do you believe, we would say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us to trust you. And now let's just pause and pray that God would pour his blessing onto our family, into our church. We continue to use our church to make an impact in this community and around this world.
Lord, pour out your blessing. Help us to see your work in our lives and through our lives, in our church and through our church, our church campus here in Greenwood, our impact campuses from the impact center to impact old south side to impact fairfax to impact bethany through our mission partners around the world use us to demonstrate the reality of your love and your power and your many many promises thank you for this time of prayer in jesus name we pray And everyone agreed and said, amen. One last time, let's sing. Once again, I want to welcome everyone who is joining us online this weekend. I want to especially give a a welcome to all of you joining us from our Impact Center, from Impact Old Southside, Impact Fairfax, and Impact Bethany. It's not often that we all worship together like this. It's not often that I get an opportunity on the weekend to talk to all of you. And so I'm so thankful for that opportunity, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. Next weekend when we come together, we're going to be beginning a brand new sermon series from the Old Testament book of Numbers called A View from the Top. And I've never preached any messages out of the book of Numbers, not any of significance in terms of uh, the number of them. And I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a great series that's going to speak to all of our hearts. But in the rest of our time together this weekend, I just want to simply have a very straightforward conversation with you about the great need and the great responsibility we all have to reach lost people. I have my Bible open to the Gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there uh, with me this weekend. And while you're doing that, because uh, I know that you're able to find that passage and listen at the same time, uh, I want to talk to you about exactly what I mean when I say lost people. The word for lost when we encounter it in the New Testament from the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word apolemi. You can see it on the screen, Apollomy. And the word Apollomy has the fundamental meaning of destroyed or destruction, which is a little bit surprising, honestly, uh, with regard to that word. But when you study this Greek word Apollomy in the New Testament, you find that it, while it has the root meaning of destroyed or destruction, it has several different practical meanings depending on the context. In fact, I will tell you this weekend that it is absolutely one of the most interesting Greek words that I have ever studied in terms of the diversity of its meaning. And there's a lot that you can learn about this word because it's used around 80 times in the New Testament. We're going to see it used in the parable we're going to read together in just a few minutes. We're going to see it in Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, and we're going to see it again in Luke chapter 15 and verse 6. 
When I was writing this message, I also looked at this word in a very familiar verse a little later in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. You might not recognize the reference, but you'll probably recognize the words. It's the comment Jesus makes at the end of his experience with Zacchaeus. Once Zacchaeus was converted, once that conversion was demonstrated to be real, then Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And there's that word apolemy again, that word apolemy that has that fundamental meaning of destroy or destroyed or destruction. But in the context of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, as well as our context today in the passage we're going to look at, it has a much more simple and a much more practical meaning, and that meaning is lost, listen to me close, in the sense of being in the wrong place. That's how we should understand that word, lost. Being in the wrong place. At least that's what it means according to William Barclay in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And here's how that makes sense to us when we think about everything that I have just said. That kind of loss that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 when he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost, as well as in the text that we're going to read in just a few minutes, has the meaning of being in the wrong place, but it also has the meaning of destroyed or destruction at the same time. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. I've talked to a lot of people, honestly, over the years who think that it's really not the best thing for us to use the word lost or for me to use the word lost when it comes to people who, for whatever reason, are not Christians because the use of that word lost to describe someone who is not a Christian might be offensive to that person. And honestly, I don't disagree with that truth. I think that word could possibly be offensive to someone who was not a Christian. But I think a better approach than just not using the word altogether, because the word is used in the Bible, I think a better approach to not using the word is to just explain the meaning of the word. I think that's a better approach. The Bible makes it clear that God created man to live in fellowship with him. And that fellowship was broken in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. And sin entered in the world and infected all men. And so that none of us, not one single one of us on our own has the ability to live in fellowship with God. And the reason is because we're sinful and God is holy. And so that's what it means to be lost in the sense of being in the wrong place. We're all in the wrong place when our lives are out of fellowship with God. And the destroy or the destruction part of the meaning of the word lost, the meaning of that word apolemy, becomes real when you die in the condition of being in the wrong place with regard to God. And that's what I as a Christian understand and that's what I as a Christian believe about what Jesus means when he uses the word lost to describe people who have not put their faith and their trust in him. I would imagine that there are a lot of people here and a lot of people who are listening online this weekend who would say that before they became a Christian, they had a sense that something was not completely right with their life. They had a sense of emptiness or they had a sense of longing or they had a sense of, uh, of an unfilled desire. And you understand that. 
when you understand that on your own, separated from a holy God by sin, you're simply in the wrong place. You're out of place with regard to the way God created you to live. And no one is more concerned about that than God, who by nature is a seeking God. In fact, let me ask you this question. Have you ever considered the truth that one of the things that sets God apart from all the other gods of men and demons that this world has manufactured is the fact that he is by nature a seeking God, not a judgmental God solely, not a punishing God solely, but he is a seeking God. Another way to say it is that God is a savior. He's a savior God. He's holy and he's righteous, but he's also compassionate and tender-hearted and loving and kind and gracious. We see this about God all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Bible. Because of that, God cares deeply for lost people, people who are in the wrong place in their life because they're out of place with him. God's heart beats for lost people. And that's what Jesus really talks to us about in three separate parables in Luke chapter 15. We're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at the first one. And so if you've got your Bible open there to Luke chapter 15 and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Luke chapter 15, and you probably are familiar with this, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of a lost sheep, and then he tells a parable of a lost coin, and then he tells a parable of a lost son, and it's that parable of the lost son that most people are most familiar with, but the other parables are just as significant. Follow along as I read the first seven verses of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask and pray that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. The first thing we need to understand about this first parable is that Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the minds and the whispers of the Pharisees and the teachers of of the law when they saw all of these tax collectors and other sinners approaching Jesus. And you get a little insight into how skilled Jesus was in his teaching by the fact that upon discerning or understanding their thoughts, he began this first parable by saying these words in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And I say that we see the skill of Jesus in those words because his, his, his story, and I want you to imagine that as Jesus speaks these words, he's looking right into the faces of those Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we see his skill in the truth that his story causes them or forces them 
to think of themselves as shepherds, which would have been very offensive to them because shepherds were among the lowest class of people in the culture of that day. In fact, the Jews had a word or a name for shepherds and others like them. It was the word um, amhaaretz. And the literal meaning of the word was people of the land. The practical meaning of the word, if I were to put it in our language today, would be low life and even the word scum. And that's how they viewed shepherds. And so Jesus is like, okay, you don't like all these tax collectors and other sinners that are coming around? Let me make things even more uncomfortable. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a shepherd. No Pharisee or teacher of the law would have ever become a shepherd, even though they knew, because they knew the Scriptures, that there were several times in the Scriptures in the Old Testament where God is described as a shepherd, the most famous of which is Psalm 23 and verse 1 that says this, the Lord is my what? Say it with me, shepherd. But they wouldn't be caught dead as a shepherd. And so we see that Jesus knew his audience and he knew what he was doing when he started his parables with this particular story. And he asked them to imagine themselves as a shepherd. There weren't a lot of rules for shepherding in Jesus's day, but there was one rule that was very important, and that rule was simply don't lose any sheep. That's something everyone knew and everyone understood because that was the literal job description of being a shepherd. And so when he tells the story of a shepherd who has 100 sheep and that shepherd loses one of them, and then he asks the question, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Everyone knew the answer because everyone knew and understood the fundamental responsibility of a shepherd. He needed to go and find that sheep and bring it back dead or alive. It needed to be accounted for. Everyone also understood the truth that sheep were always in grave danger when they were lost. They were in grave danger first because they weren't the smartest animals, and they were in grave danger second because they were defenseless. They literally had no way to, to defend themselves against any kind of predator. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who Jesus really intended this story for, they understood that. They knew that. And so they knew that in this fictional story that could have been a very real-life story, that the shepherd needed to do whatever was necessary to rescue that one lost sheep. Then as Jesus continues the story, he says the shepherd finds the lost sheep. And when he does, he says he joyfully puts that sheep on his shoulder and goes home. But that's not the end of the joy because he says when the shepherd gets home, the first thing that he does is he calls all of his friends and all of his neighbors together and says, this is the latter part of Luke 15 and verse 6, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And when I read this story, I imagine that about at that part of the story, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had completely bought into what Jesus was telling them, the story that he was sharing with them. He had their attention because Jesus is talking about something that could be very real in their life. He's not making up something new or something unorthodox. He's talking to them about life the way they knew and understood it. And I'm sure that they were completely absorbed in everything that he was talking about. And that's why what Jesus says next is so powerful because it has a devastating application to those Pharisees and teachers of the law. Because in verse 7, 
Remember, again, Jesus says, I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people, or persons, rather, who do not need to repent. And Jesus doesn't give any explanation. That's how the parable ends. And he doesn't give any explanation because there's no need for an explanation. It's obvious The meaning of his story is obvious. Those Pharisees and tax collectors who didn't think they had anything in their lives they needed to repent of or or turn away from, they understand that Jesus is speaking right to them. So this entire story that began because Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered about tax collectors and sinners hanging around Jesus is all about the joy. I, I would say the great joy that God feels when a lost sinner like a tax collector or some other kind of sinner or somebody like you or somebody like me is found. And when the story was over, the question that was hanging over everyone's head was how is it? that God can be so concerned and eager to save the lost and you, again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who claim to be God's representatives on earth can have so much contempt for the lost. How is it that God's heart beats for the lost and your heart's filled with contempt for the lost? Another way to say the question would be this. How is it that God rejoices over the lost but you despise them? Because that was the attitude that they had. And so what Jesus was basically saying to these righteous men, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, is you may be great at doing all the things that a righteous person is supposed to do in terms of outward actions and outward activities, but you couldn't be further from the heart of God because the heart of God rejoices when lost people are found. These men were willing to applaud the efforts of a shepherd for doing his duty in rescuing a lost sheep, while at the same time they were willing to condemn the efforts of the great shepherd, and that's who Jesus is, the great shepherd, who is rescuing lost men and lost women. And so here's what I see in this story, friends. And this is the reason why this message is called It's a Hard Thing. I see three hearts. First of all, I see the heart of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We might just call them the righteous men, but we'd have to put quotations around that because the righteous is a little bit shaky. And when you see the heart of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it can be best described, their hearts can be best described by one word, and that's the word contempt. Contempt. When they saw lost people like the ones who were gathering around Jesus, the tax collectors and other kinds of sinners, they despised them. They didn't have any time for them. They didn't care where they had been or where their lives were going. They meant nothing to them. The second heart you see in the story is the heart of Jesus. And just in case you haven't figured it out, and I'm sure you have in the story, the shepherd is Jesus. And you could describe the heart of Jesus by these words, seeking and saving 
Might even add the word always, always seeking and saving. What did Jesus say? In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, we talked about it in the introduction after Zacchaeus had his life changed and transformed. Jesus said, for the son of man, remember I've told you many times that was Jesus' favorite term to use to describe himself. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And then number three, I see the heart of heaven. We might just say the heart of God. God the Father. And the heart of heaven, the heart of God, is best described by the word rejoicing because his heart rejoices when lost people are found. And having said that, here's my question for all of us. Which of those hearts best reflects your heart? Honestly. It's a question I would ask myself. Which of those hearts best reflects my own heart when it comes to lost people? Do I have a heart of contempt for lost people and see them as a nuisance? See them as someone that I want to avoid? People that I have no time for? Or does my heart reflect the heart of Jesus who's always seeking and always saving? who's always looking for the lost, who's always willing to lift the lost and put them on his shoulder gently and tenderly and carry them home and then make sure everyone rejoices when they find out that the lost person has been found. Or does my heart reflect the heart of God, God, excuse me, the heart of heaven that's best reflected by joy and rejoicing? Which of those hearts best reflects your heart? I don't think I have to tell you this weekend that the world is full of lost people. The world is filled with people whose lives are out of place when it comes to God. Wherever you live, the people around you, there are people who are out of place when it comes to God. Wherever you go to work, you work with people who are out of place when it comes to God, when you take your kids to ball practice or, 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 or dance rehearsal or whatever else they might be involved in, and you're sitting with all the other parents who are waiting for things to end, you're sitting around people whose lives are out of place when it comes to God. And if you've been given a new heart by God, if I've been given a new heart by God, which is what happens at salvation, our hearts are changed and transformed and made new. That's what happens when Jesus finds us and rescues us, whenever that was for you. Then our heart should reflect the heart of Jesus, and it should reflect the heart of God. And so when it comes to our willingness to be involved in reaching lost people, it really is a heart thing. You can say what you want. You can make any excuse you want. But when it comes to reaching lost people, it's always going to be a heart thing. How does our heart beat for people who are lost? And that needs to be a question that we answer in this new year as a church family. All of us here at Mount Pleasant and all of us 
at our Greenwood, our, excuse me, our, our impact campuses, whether it's our own impact center or it's impact Old Southside or impact Fairfax or impact Bethany. Because our hearts need to begin to beat for lost people. We need to reach lost people. A few years ago, we rolled out a, a, a ministry initiative to make that as, as easy and as simple as possible for everyone. We called it One Life. And we challenged everyone in our church family to identify just one life, one person in the network of their life who is not living in a right relationship with God. One person who's out of place, who's in the wrong place when it comes to their relationship with God. And then be willing to do three things to develop a friendship with that person so you could, number two, discover their story so you could, number three, discern next steps about how you might point them to Jesus and the new life that Jesus offers. We've had a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of people go through the One Life training, but it's been a few years ago now, and so we're going to have another One Life training coming up in just a couple of weeks on uh, January the 23rd, uh, and you can participate in person or online. You can actually take your phone out, and you can scan that QR code right there on the screen, and you could uh, learn about that, and you could register for that. You could go to our website, and you could learn more about that. But I would challenge you uh, this weekend that if you haven't gone through the One Life training or if you honestly have just kind of forgotten about everything that we talked about in the One Life initiative, maybe go through that training again so that you could be equipped you could be equipped to let your heart lead you with regard to reaching out to lost people. And the second thing I want to do after just encouraging you with regard to the One Life training is I want to tell you that I have a box on the floor over there right in front of where I sit, and it's filled with envelopes that look exactly like this. And inside that envelope is this card and this card simply says, it's a heart thing at the top of the card, and it says, God's heart beats for lost people, and the Bible makes it clear. He uses ordinary people like you and me to share that message at Mount Pleasant and our impact campuses. We believe this happens best through developing friendships that lead to discovering someone's story and discerning next steps for introducing them to Jesus. Please use this. There's a $10 bill in every one of these envelopes. Please use this $10 to connect with someone over a cup of coffee or a soft drink or something else to start the process. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, uh, we speak for God. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying, we, you and me as believers, we speak for God. And speaking for God always happens best in the context of personal relationships. When we close the service, in just a few minutes, I'm going to get that box and I'm going to stand right down here and I'm going to ask you to come down and get an envelope from me. You don't have to. I'm not going to force you to do it. And you might be here thinking, you know what? I don't need $10. I got the money that I need to do that. Maybe you need to come get an envelope and you need to put it someplace where you see it every day as a reminder that you're a person on a mission so that you don't forget. But I'm going to be passing out those envelopes, I hope, to some of you when the service is over today. If you're watching online, all you have to do is private message the online campus pastor and he'll make sure that you get one of your envelopes. If you're at one of our impact sites this weekend, then your campus pastor has these envelopes and he'll provide them for you as well. That's my message, friends. God's heart beats for lost people. 
What does our heart beat for? Which heart in the story best reflects your heart? One of contempt when it comes to lost people? One that is always seeking and always saving? Or one that's always rejoicing? Because at the end of the day, it's a hard thing. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this brief time in your word. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. And I pray that we would be a church that truly, truly reflects the heart of the Father and the Son when it comes to people who are lost. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.